I don't think there was ever a chance I was going to do anything else. I've done a lot of trying not to do photography. <laughs> but it shows you how sometimes it finds you, you know. You know, there was a period where I wasn't doing a lot of photography. And I remember getting my hair cut. I was talking to my hairdresser and, it's, uh, you know, it's almost like therapy going to a good hairdresser. Yeah. And Liz um, had said to me, we were talk just talking about things in general and I was trying to work out what I was doing, you know, and everything. And she said to me, Mark, how much of your time do you think about photography? I said, oh, what do you mean? She said, well, I love hairdressing so much that there is not a day that goes by where I'm not thinking about it. And she said, when you get to the point where you're always thinking about it, she said, that's probably when you know that's how much you want to do it. There's that. And then another mate of mine, Alan, who I did Project Malta with, he said to he one thing he said to me once just in passing, and he said, you know, a photographer is only as good as the work they do. And he said the more you shoot the better you get at what you do and that's like you know, the more you do a podcast the better you get at interviewing the more and they're two conversations I remember years apart and at different stages those conversations were very good full stops to think mm. and to and to sort of stand back and say to myself why am I doing what I'm doing and I think without knowing it, they became the motivation to keep doing what I do because they made me have to stop and think about how much of this is consuming you, how much of it is leading you to whatever it is. I'm Ren McDonald and this is The Hope Initiative, a show dedicated to learning about humans on planet Earth where I speak with everyday people to find moments of success and struggle in their life to help inspire hope in yours. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Hope Initiative. My name is Rin MacDonald and thank you for joining me for episode 150 with Mark Avellino. Mark is a creator, photographer and someone who, in his own words, fell into photography. It was coming for him his whole life and in this conversation I learn how that all came to be. He's a brilliant sports photographer and human in general and I'm sure photographer in many other areas of life, but how I came to know him is through sport. A very kind man, we also speak about imposter syndrome, his Maltese background, and just doing good work. It was a great conversation. I'm really proud to be bringing it to you. So thank you all for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Mark Avellino. Mark Avellino, welcome to the Hope Initiative. Thank you, great to be here. Yeah, you're welcome, mate. Thanks for uh, joining me today in my home here. And looking forward to this chat, just mentioning before we started, it was probably only six months ago or less that we that we met out in Green Gully, Eastern Lions. They were playing there in a pre-season game. I was doing a little bit of work for them earlier this year and you've seemingly taken photos of the Gully boys and a lot of football over the years. So... 
Yeah, a hell of a lot. Uh, Ten years worth now, I think now. So, yeah, well, wow. yeah, it's been. Is that specifically at Green Gully? Uh, no, that's probably in the um, in the VPL, NPL landscape plus A League and other stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that sort of my first step into sort of football photography was uh, yeah, be about ten years ago. Yeah, ten years ago. Beautiful. So, yeah, it's uh, quite interesting to see how the whole landscape has changed, and um, not only photography, but just even the sport itself and the competition mm. at that level as well. So yeah, it's been quite. It's an interesting community, and uh, it it's uh, quite fun to be part of. Um, once you get to know all the quirks, <laughs> <laughs> I bet various characters across the state leagues at least in my experience i'm sure it's yeah even yeah. more so at the at the top level in this in this state so yeah, yeah that's how we came to meet i'd followed you on instagram for a little while because consistent listeners of the podcast will know i've played soccer for 20 years not at a not at a super high level like a green gully or or eastern lions even but uh yeah enjoyed seeing your stuff you know online and yeah it was nice to meet you that day i even still very new to photography I feel and you're a seasoned expert and yeah you just took the time to have a chat and give me some tips it was from memory you know getting getting dark that night so it was tough to tough to shoot yeah and a bit of rain as well from memory even though it was in February classic Melbourne yes it was wasn't it yeah gosh that seems like an eternity ago now oh listen I have always found that Everyone acquires knowledge in different ways. And I think that um, there's a tendency or there used to be a tendency to try to keep everything to yourself and not, you know, exchange and share. Yeah. And uh, those, that's certainly changed over the years. And um, I, I've, I think that it doesn't hurt to sort of just encourage and to just share a little bit with people you know people take their own journey mm-hmm. uh in the creative space anyway yeah and sometimes you start you know doing one thing and then you move over to another thing and you know i certainly uh, never imagined i'd be doing sport when i first started okay. and um you know if somebody was to say to me oh mark you'd be spending hours upon hours sitting on the side of a cold pitch in the middle of winter, watching a white ball go around, <laughs> uh, I would have laughed at them, you know. So, because when I, you know, like, I first picked up a camera properly uh, when I was at high school in the 80s yeah. and um, learning how to develop film and all that kind of stuff, you know, so probably around about the age of 13. And I remember that when I went to uni and everything, my whole thing about photography was, uh, you know, I don't want to be a wedding photographer. I want to work in fashion and do mm. all that kind of stuff. Well, I did weddings for about 15, 20 years. Uh, never worked in fashion and <laughs> um, did a lot of cor- and have done and continue to do a lot of corporate work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just never know where you're going to end up and how you do things. Mm. And uh, you, it's all about being open to opportunity. And I think that um, you know, doubting yourself is a huge thing about being a creative. And I think when you are a creative, no matter what the space is, uh, we're always doubting and questioning ourselves mm. and, and about how we're doing things, why we're doing it. Um, am I any good at it? I think that's probably the biggest question we ask ourselves is, am I any good at it? Do you still doubt yourself today? Absolutely. Yeah? Yeah. I'm, uh, imposter syndrome is mm. you know, something that I think a lot of people who are creative suffer. Mm. Um, I, for a long time, didn't think I was very good. 
and I still think I can get better and I still strive to get better. Um, I think the day I think I'm great at what I do is probably when I should retire. Sure. Because I think that it's really uh, important to want to continue to learn and to get better. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, no matter how long I do it, I, I look at other people's work and think, crap, how do they do that? You know, or how did they see that and I didn't see that and I was at the same place. So it's all about perspective. It's all about how you learn and it's all, all about what you bring to it. On the And you're only as good as you are on the day that you're there. Mm. You know, so, you know, photography is brutal in the way that it can make you feel really high but it can make you feel really low because of the end result sometimes and what you expect from it or get from it as mm. well. Thank you, mate. It's interesting to hear you speak about it and keen to go deeper into the the highs and the lows and the collaboration but excited to yeah just collaborate and chat with you today in a podcast i looked up and couldn't find if you'd been a guest on any podcast before is this your first one or have you done some maybe shorter interviews or uh, i've done something on the football out west show when i did my um covid uh, blogs about how yep, that kind of affected the football is series yeah the football is series yep. and i've Done a couple of um, SBS radio interviews about four, 20 years ago okay. uh, to do a project that I had done. Um, I was like a, my background is Maltese. Okay. And um, with another photographer, Alan Carville, we had a project that we did together uh, in Malta, which was like a, a day in the life of, but it was a week in the life of Malta. And we collaborated with 21 photographers from around the world wow. to get this project up and running um so it was like our baby and we nursed that mm. kind of like to exhibitions in the u.s and a few different places and back in malta obviously and over here in canberra and in melbourne and uh, so i did a few interviews there sort of talking about that project nice uh, so yeah my my background kind of jumps around a lot between exhibiting you know at one point it was just like i'm just going to be an artist mm. and then Another point, it was just like, oh, I'm done with photography, that's it. But I wasn't really. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, um, and then sort of moved back into it slowly like that. So just, it's, it's quite, a, I'm jumping around a hell of a lot. So I'm so sorry. No, oh, don't apologize. <laughs> it's good. So, so yeah, so it's, um, yeah, it's, you know, it, it's interesting because I studied photography for four years and did a double degree. Yep. And, um, and I did teaching as a fallback just in case, and it only ever became a fallback. Um, I kind of knew I wasn't cut out for doing that type of thing. Yep. Um, but it was, it was comforting to have that so that I knew if things didn't work out with whatever I decided to do, I could always do a little bit of teaching, which I did do on and off, you know? Yep. And then um, from that kind of worked in the um at a place called Latrobe Studios which was um uh a photo lab oh hang on no that's a bit later uh <laughs> <laughs> so um so worked sort of just like on and off in the industry when I graduated and stuff and then uh did a little bit of teaching for about 18 months went overseas nice 
uh, did the whole backpacking thing, worked in the photography industry overseas in the UK, mainly on the production side of it. So when I say production side in those days, we're talking about the early 90s, it's still film-based. Right. So proper production. Proper production. <laughs> so I used to do a lot of film development and wow. uh, black and white printing in dark rooms and stuff. Yep. And uh, a little bit of shooting while I was there, but it was mainly all that darkroom work, which um, was um, amazing, an amazing sort of thing to be kind of doing uh, in a little lab in Notting Hill in London. And, wow. um, you know, we'd have, being the location where it was, we'd have the guys from Duran Duran coming in, Elvis Costello, Julie Christie, Wow. whole heap of actors and music people types coming in. So yeah. it was kind of like this really interesting sort of group of customers that would come into the shop. You working for a magazine or uh, like a music or entertainment production company? Uh, they We were just like doing the work for them. Okay. So we're doing the work for all the different people. Their private work, basically wow. printing their private work. Um, when Madonna... There was she had this book called the Sex Book that she produced. Um, okay. Got and to I, work on that. Well, I got to work <laughs> on the launch of that, okay. and that was um, amazing because the photographer that kind of um, shot that whole launch um, used us to sort of develop everything and like print everything and everything, and that was all timed when the film ha- when when the film had to be printed and there were security guards waiting outside of the store because no one could get hold of anything we had to give them all our waste everything because it was all embargoed so you know that was kind of like the days of in film Mm. and then when i got back from overseas uh so i was away for about two and a half years it was um 93 end of 93 how how old are you at this point i would have been mid 20s mid to late 20s so 27 something like that and, and then when I got back from overseas, I started work at a place in South Melbourne, which no longer exists, called La Trobe Studios. And they were um, one of the very first professional labs in Australia. Um, they were started post-war by um, a heap of um, Jewish immigrants. And um, a lot of the people that worked there were people who had immigrated to Australia during the 56 Olympics. And they were, um, they were like the, your Eastern, a lot of Eastern European trained photography people. Yeah. And uh, it was an amazing place to work because we just, we had the photographic studio out the back that did a lot of food and portraits and all that. But then we had the main um, uh, sort of um, film developing and printing sort of lab there and we used to do work for all the big advertising agencies um, a lot of really well-known sort of photographers in its day Bill Henson and Wolfgang Sievers people like that yeah uh, Patricia Piccinini in her early days like that and I uh, worked there for nearly nine years wow. moving around in different roles and stuff over there and then you know, from there, kind of flipped and flopped in and out of photography, but always doing something involving photography. Um, yep. Even when I was not doing it, I was doing it, you know, yep. that type of thing. And uh, really, it's been the last probably ooh, t- t- 10, 12 years that I've been working for myself. Okay. And that's been the probably the biggest learning curve has been, you know, the period of working for myself because you... Yep. You, it challenges you to work out what type of photographer you are, 
what type of work you want to do, what type of work you're good at, mm-hmm. what type of work uh, you might give the go, and the, and how to work with with people. You know, when you are your own boss, mm. um, you are as busy as you want to be, yep, and as quiet as you want to be as well. Yeah, right. So yeah, I mean, I feel like in this conversation we may bounce around yeah. different timelines, which is totally fine by me, mate. So no yeah. no stress, and I appreciate you sharing all that you have thus far. What was the catalyst 12 years ago to go out on, t- on your own into photography? I'd, uh, I'd been working um, for a media company. Uh, we used to do a lot of um, print production and production, and so it was a combined um, studio. It, we did everything. And um, I had finished up, Try to get the timeline a bit right. Sorry for the pause. Um, so both my parents had passed away within three months of each other mm. and they were elderly, they'd been ill, but it was still a bit of a shock that it had happened so quickly. So prior to that point, I'd really moved into this senior management role in the place and um, things were kind of going... It was very supportive of everything. But of course, when you have a big life moment happen it does tend to challenge you in ways that you would never know. Sure. And I, about nine months after that happened, I got offered what should have been my dream job within the organisation, which was to run the photographic studio. And, you know, we were doing work for, you know, big corporates, you know, like your catalogue work for your your Coles, Woolies, a scarf, sleep maker, people like that. And it should have been this amazing opportunity and it should have been like this incredible moment. Uh, But a voice deep down inside actually was unsure about it. And I kind of took the role on with that little bit of doubt in there. Mm -hmm. And I soon learnt that I was, it was probably the wrong, the everything was out of kilter for me because of where I was with everything with mum and dad. Yeah. And that whole process of um, taking on board a new challenge when you're still resolving a lot of stuff in your head is probably not the right time to be um, doing it, but you don't know that. Mm. You know, you, you jump in, you say, well, this is this opportunity, something I've been wanting. You know what they say, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> and that, so during that whole period and that whole period I worked at that place, which was um, getting on to 10 years, mm. I really um, had been doing photography part-time outside of work. And so my, and it was really mainly restricted to doing weddings and the odd other thing. Yeah. So just that whole thing of it's always been there. Even when it's not there, it's always been there. And then if I wasn't doing that type of work, I was doing a lot of travel photography for Lonely Planet. And that was like at that point in time, the thing I really loved doing photographically. It was it gave me everything, you know. It meant excuse to travel, but also seeing your work published. You know, I still get a buzz when I see anything, even if it's on a blog. You know Mm. what I mean? It is still a thrill to see your work there. Um, So, you know, moving into that more senior role, uh, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. 
Mm. Um, I wasn't who I thought I was to do that type of thing. And um, we parted ways. I took a redundancy probably about, I don't know, 16 months into it or something. Yep. And I remember when that sort of decision to do that came, um, I'd kind of forced the redundancy a bit too because uh, I knew it wasn't really what I, what I wanted. Um, I decided I think now's the time to just go out on my own and mm. just see how I go. I'd never run a business before. Nobody in my family had run a business before. Um, I'd had to learn from scratch how to do everything. Yep. And, uh, yeah, that's sort of where that sort of leap came. And shooting sport was kind of, in a weird way, a little bit of me internalizing and um, working out stuff about losing my parents. Mm. So I'd gone, I used to go as a child to um, a lot of um, games with my dad. Yep. And uh, weirdly, not Green Gully, but George Cross, who I also shoot for. Yep. And uh, so we used to go to Olympic Park and go to see games and all that sort of stuff. So I think in a weird way, part of that process of shooting sport came from honouring that aspect of my childhood and yep. I guess... Um, I don't know, being closer to a parent even though they're not there. Yeah. And that's kind of where the launch pad for shooting into football came was that was the motivation behind oh. it. And, um, the, yeah, and then from there it's just been onward and upward ever since really. And weirdly, in the context of where we are these days, my very first game that I shot where the opportunity came to shoot uh, with Football Victoria was actually a A league a, a W League match at uh, Box Hill when mm. I used to play Melbourne Victory down there. Oh, Wembley. Yeah, Wembley Park. Yeah, so that mm. was the the very first game I'd ever shot, and then from there it, I, I sort of like started building up. Okay, I'm going to start going down to Green Gully games, to these games, to those games, and yeah, yeah. So it sort of that's how the circle kind of amazing uh, happened like that. Thanks for sharing, mate. It's, yeah, interesting. Within three months, losing both parents would be very challenging. What was what was family life like for you as a as a young child? I don't know if you have siblings or were they here? Did they come after, you know, or oh. in the 50s? When, when did they sort of migrate? So mum and dad immigrated. Dad immigrated in 1949, mum in 1950. They were already engaged and everything in Malta. Oh. They'd, they'd gone through the war together yep. and everything like that. And I've got an elder sibling, so my sister, who's four years older than me. Yep. And um, we grew up in Melbourne. And um, childhood was like your vanilla sort of standard childhood, nothing... Um, crazy and mum and dad are always um hard workers and always had that sort of work ethic that the Maltese tend to have yeah um you know dad was always about just remember who you're dealing with that was one of the big things he always um said to me and to my sister was you know no matter who they are always be good to people and um you know you're never too good 
to deal with anyone, you know, that type of thing, you know. And, yep. um, and I think that that's sort of something I, I re I've remembered my whole life. It's a good piece of grounding, you know, that uh, no matter if they're the cleaner, the person working in the canteen, the CEO, treat everyone the same. No, don't treat anyone differently just because of the job that you think they do because you don't know their backstory, you don't know what they do. Sure. And, um, you know, my parents had a uh, wickedly black sense of humour, which is very, very Maltese. Okay. And um, it's very English as well. And being the generation that they were and living through the war, a lot of um, their sensibilities were based upon their experience of uh, living through wartime. You know, Malta, which was one of the most bombed places on earth during the war. Was it really? Yeah. It was like the linchpin to Europe and Africa, and everyone was trying to take ownership of it during the war. Wow. And they, you know, sustained something like 30 days of um, being cut off the rest of the world and, and, and were like days away from falling to, to the Germans. Wow. And had that happened, that would have changed the course of the war inevitably because that was, you could base yourself there and get into Africa and everywhere else. So, you know, their experience of being effectively starved and everything formed, you know, during that period where Malta was cut off, they were no supplies. There was like only, I think... Wow. The Air Force consisted of, you know, the British Air Force, which only had about two or three planes stationed there, and they somehow held off uh, the Italians and the Germans. And uh, But the, the reason for saying or sharing that is that that kind of helps to understand why as immigrants when they came here, um, they always um, were worried about having enough food, having enough resources to keep going, yep. no matter how hard it got. Mm. and I think that's just it builds a resilience because your parents have got that that you kind of see that and I think that it makes you a very resilient person just sort of seeing um, the type of uh, parents that you have mm. but then also you know your own experiences as you get older you know and you, you learn to, you run with the um, punches a bit you know through, through time. you don't always get what you want sure you know and you, so it's how well you deal with that, uh, that pushes you forward, you know, um, as you grow older and yeah, uh, reflect the best thing about getting older because you, you've had time to reflect, mm. you know, when you're younger, everything's a battle. You don't know where you're at with anything. <laughs> yeah. Everything's unfair. <laughs> you sort of took the, the question, next question out of my mouth and that sense of like, did you appreciate your parents? like you clearly do now when you were growing up like did you appreciate your Maltese heritage what was that oh that's been a journey um always my sister would say this as well we we even though we grew up here we struggled with our identity as to are we Australian or are we Maltese yep because mum and dad were very insistent we spoke English even though they spoke perfect English but they also spoke Maltese and we, you know, we at different stages we would we would sort of like be forced to do go to Maltese dinner dances, which 
anyway <laughs> still in therapy uh, <laughs> we can keep talking about yeah, it. <laughs> but but you know and and to do all those things that seemed as you're growing up mm. in this dual culture of australia with parents who you know uh, are very maltese in some ways mm. and that whole conflict that happens of two different cultures yeah however um uh, when I started working on that Malta project with Alan, that was the beginning of my awareness of my need to identify the that aspect of me more. Yep. So after years of not really, um, you know, connecting well with it, I finally started the journey of... Um, really looking at my identity and who I was. And mm. I realized that all the quirks I have are very much all the Maltese things that I was brought up with. Right. All of the things that drive me come from that aspect of me. Yep. You know, like, yes, I'm very much Australian, but I'm very much Maltese. I'm not more one than the other because they have the same amount of influence on who you are, you know, mm. wherever, like I, you know, and... As I've gotten older, I've I identified more with the aspects of the community and the my parents' upbringing to understand more how I am. And you know, I remember the first time I went to Malta in '91. I vowed I'd never go back again. And then ten years later, I was going back for Project Malta, and. I think I've been back about 10 times since. Wow. And I've got really good friends there that are not family who I talk to, one of them in particular, quite a lot. And I've got family there and um, it's great to go there and see them and mm. to be there, but it's great to come back as well. Mm. And so, it, you know, I think I appreciate mum and dad more now than you know, when I was growing up. Um, yeah. I wish I'd gotten them to maybe do an oral history with some of their stories about the war, which were incredible, the ones I remember. Yeah. Uh, because that inquiring mind is probably more there now than it was when I was younger. I know that's, I think, nearly everybody would be the same, I think, in that front. For sure. Um, but, yeah, it's um, it makes you kind of appreciate where you've come from and where your family's come from if you know like, like i'm glad i listened uh, because you know um it would have been very easy to kind of go oh here they go again talking about the war but i i must remember I'm, i do remember when i was in malta once i was talking to one of my aunties mm. and um i'd never been to malta with my parents and um my auntie was talking about my mum and then she's retelling the story about how, you know, the, the aeroplanes would fly so low you could see the faces of the pilots, right? And mum used to tell that exact story and I used to think she was over-exaggerating, right? And yeah, then it sounds a little bit... It sounds ridiculous, right? Yeah. And then there's my auntie saying the same thing unprompted. Wow. And then I remember reading something not long after. I thought, okay, um, I need to be more mindful that that is their experience. Yeah. And um, so I think that's kind of just given me a bit more of a kind of awareness of things. And then um, a few years back, I was I worked on a um, 
on a show on Channel 31 with a friend of mine, which is called Maltese Down Under. And uh, that was really a series of half-hour sort of programs that focused on the diaspora here. Mm-hmm. And um, we spoke to, you know, anything from politicians to artists, a lot of artists, um, soccer players, um, all sorts of people. And it was really, and some of them were people who were Maltese, some, a lot of them were people who were Australian Maltese. And it was just a really nice way of just um, getting a more contemporary view of the culture in this country. Yeah. So, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. It's, I think, would have been a challenging time to be growing up and not knowing, yeah, your culture Australian Maltese, I feel like my mum in a lot of ways was similar. We were speaking before that she was the first episode and she probably didn't appreciate her parents as much. They were Dutch. Uh, It came similarly after the war. Uh, You know, Holland occupied by Germany at that time. They managed to to survive that and and come come here. They lived down in Cheltenham uh, or down in the southern suburbs. I think they ended up settling in Cheltenham for for many years when they, which is ultimately when they passed. But yeah, my mum spoke about not really appreciating like the Dutch culture and being embarrassed by it mm. at a, at a young age. And I can see how that would have existed because I know the things I've been embarrassed about as a young child. Yeah, it just like seemingly so silly once you become an adult it's like no that's like something to be quite proud of but when we're younger yeah it's it's just life but it's a bit of a shame that yeah you're you've got all that time but you're not aware and then when that time is gone yeah you you don't have the opportunity i think that it's very easy to forget that an identity is made up of many things so it's not only made up of your direct influences from your family, but also the world around you and your upbringing. And as I think anyone knows, being a child can be really cruel mm. and children can be really cruel to each other, uh, let alone what adults, adults can do to children. So when you're growing up with all that uncertainty, you're trying to fit into a group. You don't know who you are yet. And there's that degree of confidence conforming Mm. sometimes you reject the thing that's best for you which is what you have at home you know or the culture that is around you and you know like the great thing about probably kids growing up right now is that they have the opportunity to embrace anything that they have thrown at them should they want to Mm. and they can be who they want to be as they want to be and people will give them the opportunity to do it. Mm. When I was growing up, and probably when you were growing up, there were many more restrictions on how you should behave and what you should believe. Mm. So it was harder to kind of navigate that path. Yeah. And everyone's journey, you know, the journey that we all talk about these days, which we never would have spoken about stuff like that then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that that whole process of getting to know yourself Mm. uh, was a bit harder. It was crueler growing up in the 80s in particular. Um, We weren't as... um, The idea of uh, being a migrant was very different to the idea of being one now. Yeah. And multiculturalism was very different then to being to now. Yeah. 
Have we progressed? I thought we had, but the voice stuff is making me a bit worried mm-hmm. about, you know, where people are at with things. But, um, you know, we're more multicultural now than we ever have been. It's, uh, we Probably if they would look at the census of how many different nationalities we had in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s to now, mm. uh, we'd be probably 10 times more now. Totally. But yet we seem to be more confused about how we want to do it all. So it's, uh, yeah. well, we're really going off now, aren't we? <laughs> it's, it's fine. I yeah. think it's an interesting thing. Mm. On a one-to-one level, I feel like if you can make the time to have a conversation yeah. with anyone, you can find the commonalities. But it when it's when it gets to a very broad level and there's maybe mixed messaging or yeah, various you know potential groups who or whoever pushing their own agendas is where yeah the lines get blurred yeah but there's no doubt that yeah having that influx of essentially europe come in the 50s and 60s was amazing and i don't know the exact you know other cultures that have come since but australia is so multicultural and it's amazing Mm. for that you know i was born here and my parents were born here but you know the Dutch heritage that I have, even though I've never even been back to Europe to experience that, I'm I'm quite proud of it. Um, so I think everyone everyone should be, and yeah, the the ability to to welcome and embrace, you know, your fellow fellow human being is yeah something that absolutely is is available and should be to everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and I think that's why um, certain subgroups and communities do develop and i think the the football community in a way Mm. is that uh, melting pot and you often find you know like gosh um i had to do something for the big issue at uh, down in casey yeah and i did not realize how many immigrants there were from oh i'm gonna get it wrong i think afghanistan and those that sort of area living there Mm. and they were and they were like full-on just having these community afternoon playing football and and just loving it you know what i mean and i think loving the freedom of being able to do it as well and you think yeah that's how you know um where the melting pot can happen where you've got that mix of different people yeah and um different parts of melbourne have completely different subsets of um immigrants that have ended up there yeah and and that's i guess where you get to see the future and the future of australia and the future of where we are now so, yeah you know, it makes it very very T- exciting totally so you mentioned before and excuse my ignorance in not knowing maybe the the cultures that are associated with the clubs but green gully and st george are they maltese influence in some capacity uh, green gully and uh george cross uh so george cross had just made it up to mpl2 happy days finally. <laughs> it's, it's been they've had a long journey um and uh, so they're Maltese. They were set up by Maltese immigrants. Yep. Uh, your Heidelbergs, your Oakleys, your South Melbournes are Greek, yep. uh, but different subsets of Greek. Yep. Um, I'm not going to go there because I think it, it might be complicated. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I'm probably yeah. ignorant on that, but I just assumed that they were all, all Greek. But, yeah, I wasn't sure of the Maltese-ness. So is Green Gully as well? Yeah, Green Gully. And um, okay. so Green Gully were originally um, Ajax, Yep. Um, and their their colours come from a team in Malta called Floriana. Okay. So they they got the same colours, similar. Yep. Yeah, green so and white. Green and white. Floriana. That's a nice name it's too. It's a very nice name. It's a nice little part just outside of Valletta. 
Um, yeah, and then um, you've got your Turkish teams, human being Turkish. Um, like, yeah, that's their traditional kind of, yeah. you know, um, you've got your Croatian teams like your Dandy Cities and your yeah. Melbourne Knights. So that's kind of what makes it interesting, you know, because it's still there. Mm. It's still part of it. It's still part of that, even though the players these days wouldn't be... You know, you don't have to be Maltese to play for the Maltese club or no, vice versa no. with Greek and Croatian. No, no. I mean, you saying that earlier, sort of the reason why you then got into sports photography was after the passing of your father, which I think is quite a nice way in, in essence. Maybe you didn't have the thought, but like to honour him or to like continue part of that. So did you two go and watch specifically that? Because I was curious to know if you ever played, but... Seemingly, you didn't as a young child. No, is that I can't kick a ball to save can't kick a ball. <laughs> <laughs> At least you're aware of that. Yeah, right? and I, yeah, I'll never be a striker, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, no, I used to go with Dad, and um, we used to go and watch uh, mainly in in those days when I was growing up. Uh, Georgies were in the top league mm. in Victoria then in the old NSL. Yeah, and I uh, used to go to Olympic Park with Dad, and used to say, I'm, "I'm, I've got this sketchy memory of just thousands of people at these games as a little kid, wow. being all these really tall people all around me at Olympic Park." And Dad used to have, I don't know, they used to call it this thing that he used to swing around, swing and around, and made a lot of noise. And he used to take those to games all the time, and so uh, great. And then um, they've still got them in. I know, like, they've seen a few at uh, Liverpool games because I support Liverpool. You might have seen the photo behind me. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Won that at a trivia night, actually, at the I soccer club that. last week. That's cool. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've definitely seen those things. So you remember that. Olympic Park as well. That's Collingwood's where they train now. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. It's been knocked down. But yeah. That's so where Victory as well started because I'm a little bit younger. Yeah. <laughs> generation. I don't remember the NSL, but I, I remember, yeah. like, those early days of the A-League, 2005. Yeah. Melbourne Victory, I think, beat Sydney FC 5-0. Yeah. They're, like, amazing scenes. And the and the ground was full, so I can imagine what it would have been like as well. Yeah, and when you see old photos, which is amazing from that period, it, it's like the amount of crowds were amazing. Yeah. It was, like, huge. So I know it's not uh, just a sketchy vision. I know it's, it is it is what my mem- my memory is accurate with that. And, and um, so I used to go with Dad, and then I completely walked away from it all no interest for ages at what age i think it just kind of happened in my 20s because yep. i became a lot more arty mm-hmm. much dad's um didn't didn't enjoy it no he didn't love that period okay. um became a lot more arty and was you know more just i'm gonna be an artist and all this kind of stuff <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I was exhibiting and doing all that kind of thing. And I, sure. I, I didn't have any interest really in really shooting sport, going to it. I never used to even go to VFL or AFL in those days. Yeah. And um, and then it's yeah, just funny how I just kind of ended up back there. So and, and as you said, I wasn't a deliberate thing to go back to the soccer because of dad. I, I suddenly had all these weekends free. Because I used to spend all when mum and dad, as I got older, mm. used to spend so much time going over to mum and dad's place that suddenly there's all this free time, and you just start looking to fill it with things. And that was one one thing I did to sort of start filling the weekends a little bit. You know, and uh, now they dominate everything. Uh, like <laughs> so, okay. whenever weekend free now, I'm like, oh, what am I going 
gonna do? Like <laughs> do nothing. Do nothing like that. So yeah. So yeah, it's um, yeah. So I used to mainly uh, watch the sport. Can't kick a ball. Mm. I proudly cannot kick a ball. Proudly. Yes. <laughs> I love that because there's no chance I'm ever gonna be able to kick a ball straight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, uh, I've been more of a cyclist and that kind of thing. Nice. Kind of from a sport perspective of just um you know i've got good cycling legs okay so that's that's what i've got good stuff <laughs> did your dad play or did your dad i don't remember dad playing but i i've you know it's a question i never asked him what did they do uh dad was a carpenter yeah so i tried so very good for his hands so yeah and your mum did she work she worked uh she worked a bit yeah um uh, just depends you know like like different generation you know so mainly at home mum but then yep. she did also work um at different stages you know yep. just doing whatever jobs they could get yep. in those days I yeah think. i know so, my my oma is yeah mainly stayed home mum with three yeah. kids but yeah would do bookkeeping and i think a few other things of sort of that clerical sort of nature yeah 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 mum was mainly I remember her doing cleaning jobs. I remember going with her yep. and helping her and doing stuff like that. So I was really t- retelling a story to a friend of mine the other day, which is kind of, seems kind of bizarre now. But I remember um, mum used to work for a cleaning company and um, there was like three offices in the in the city that she used to clean uh, on different days of the week. And I used to go with her mm. after school as a kid. And um, now I, when it, it's funny, whenever I go past any of those buildings, I, I'm like, yeah, I remember going up there when I was a kid. You know, it's, it's just really with this weird memory. Yeah. Um, but it's that's what you did in those days. Yeah. You know, parents, they did what they had to do mm. like that. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it's nice. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. That for mum and dad, the main thing was me and my sister getting through school and getting the uni. That was their big thing. Yeah. And um, that both of us um, did do that. And the, and that that was kind of like anything to get us into get to uni, get some form of qualification. Yeah, that was their thing. I love so. that giving giving you opportunities that perhaps they didn't have. Yeah, you mentioned before studying photography, having the teaching as sort of the backup prior to maybe even picking up the camera when you were a thirteen year old. Did you have a desire or a dream of something that you wanted to do? What were your like interests? that time i've always been creative all right so i've always been um a drawer or a whatever yeah like and photography became the thing i kind of found or it found me who knows um i don't know if i ever really at an early age had uh, you know i can't remember thinking oh, i want to be this or i want to be that my sister might know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I know that once I kind of started, um, I guess, giving into the creative side a little bit, I kind of knew it was going to be something that was creative. Yep. Um, didn't necessarily know what it was going to be. And I think it I've probably found me as much as I found it. You know, you know sometimes things come to you when mm. you're not looking. Mm. Um, I would have never been a great ac- academic. Um, I probably would be a better academic now than I w- would have been in my 20s because uh, I'm probably more rounded now, you know, life experience the whole lot. Mm-hmm. 
um, but proudly, I think I'll, oh no, I think the connected but unconnected, I want it to be in film. And I spent one day on a film set and never again. Really? Yeah. What happened? It was just too boring. Too slow? Yeah, too slow. I didn't realize how much sitting around they do on a film set. Interesting you say that. I was on My Brother Jack, a little oh, wow. yes. miniseries. Yeah. I, was, I was in the show. I oh. was like six or seven. Oh, wow. At the time. That was and a great show. Thank you. Well, I, I mean, I say thank you. I was hardly in it. <laughs> Thanks. I'll take the credit. <laughs> Fucking hell. My dad asked me, and he tells this story now, I can't remember, but I do remember being on set and he asked me after the first day, oh, like, how'd you go? And I was just like, it's boring. And I didn't want to go back. And I ended up like finishing. It was only three days of filming. As a six or seven year old, I got like yeah. eight or $900, which back in the late 90s for a seven year old, like, it's great, crazy. great money. <laughs> yeah, I should have stayed. And he was probably trying to, not coax me or anything, yeah. very supportive father, but just like, mate, what are you doing? You know, you yeah. want to come work, work a labor trade with me or something. So yeah, funny that I had a very similar experience. Yeah, it was just really, and you know, I was fairly young when that opportunity came up and mm. I, it was actually on a miniseries that had Sigrun Fortin in it that um, I, I, don't, I don't even know how I got on that set, to be really honest. Yeah, what were you doing? I was think it was just like work experience. I was literally oh. just anything, right? <laughs> it was so boring. Um, but the funny thing is, is that the thing I wanted to work in film was stills photography. Mm. So yet again, it's that cons there's this consistency. And I, it, I don't think I've ever really realized that I don't think there was ever a chance I was going to do anything else. I've done a lot of trying not to do photography. <laughs> um, but it shows you how sometimes it finds you, you know. You know, there was a period where I wasn't doing a lot of photography. And I remember getting my hair cut. I was talking to my hairdresser. And, it's, uh, you know, it's almost like therapy going to a good hairdresser. Yeah. And Liz... Um, had said to me, we were talk just talking about things in general and I was trying to work out what I was doing, you know, and everything. And she said to me, Mark, how much of your time do you think about photography? I said, oh, what do you mean? She said, well, I love hairdressing so much that there is not a day that goes by where I'm not thinking about it. And she said, when you get to the point where you're cons con always thinking about it, she said, that's probably when you know that's how much you want to do it. There's that. And then another mate of mine, Alan, who I did Project Malta with, he said to he one thing he said to me once just in passing, and he said, you know, a photographer is only as good as the work they do. And he said, the more you, the more you shoot, the better you get at what you do. And that's like, you know, the more you do a podcast, the better you get at interviewing. The more, And they're two conversations I remember years apart. And at different stages, those conversations were very good full stops to think mm. and, to, and to sort of stand back and say to myself, why am I doing what I'm doing? And I think without knowing it, they became the motivation to keep doing what I do.
because they made me have to stop and think about how much of this is consuming you, how much of it is leading you to whatever it is. And so I think that, you know, you, you, you find yourself um, on this roller coaster, a gentle roller coaster of working through things mm. and through the process. And the reason I talk about the process a lot is because I'm a real believer in process. And that comes from having worked in production and understanding that everything lines up. And you can't get to sometimes the other point if you haven't done the hard work to get to that point. And it doesn't have to be hard hard work. That's probably a poor expression. But it it's rare that a person can go from point A to point Z without doing the work in between. Mm. You can probably do it, but will, will you do it successfully and will it be sustainable? And that comes down and that applies to relationships, to not only to work. You know, like as a human being, you things that happen too fast aren't necessarily good for you. Mm. So, you know, it's... Uh, you know, it's like you know when somebody has a hit record, they're, they've come out of nowhere, they've had a hit record. Yeah, one hit wonder. One hit wonder. Gone. And then they have to try and come back with another hit after that. But the hit came so quick and so fast, they haven't had a chance to actually prepare their craft and to understand what they're doing. So then they either take it for granted or that's all they've got left in reserve because they've given the best they can. So, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I agree. I think you've you've nailed it in terms of even this the analogy of A to Z, like being able to then do it again. You might be able to get there, but then if you have to do it again, but you just fluked it and you haven't yeah. done that work and you haven't spent the hours, whether it's on a camera or... Yeah, behind a microphone, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, I I like those two bits of advice from who was it, Lisa? Uh, yeah, Liz, 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 sorry, and Alan. Yeah, they're kind of. It's just you know, people never disregard the people around you. They've you know, and they might you might only know them for a set period of time. You might know them forever. You might be a random stranger you meet on the street. Uh, the best thing about backpacking in the days when there was no internet was the random people you met every day <laughs> and the crazy conversations you have with people that are so intense and amazing on a 12-hour train ride on going from Austria to the Czech Republic and then getting thrown off a train because you don't have the right visa <laughs> is that you, you have this intense moment of getting to know people mm. and you may never see them again. But my God, it's amazing to be open to just get to know people mm. and just to um, uh, listen, you know. So it's the internet's been great, but gee, it's been horrible for building relationships with people, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I feel like because you've got that fleeting moment, you're more present. Whereas it's very common these days to probably just be like, oh, can I get a number or if email or your Instagram? Yeah but then you don't really follow that up with that real connection. 
You know, um, when you see, and we've all done it, even me, uh, where you go to a concert and you hold your phone up and yeah. record it, right? And, you know, and then you, you get those odd comments that people, oh, people need to live in the moment more. And really what people are really saying is put the phone away, enjoy what you're doing right now, because it's those moments that you'll remember. It won't be all the thousands of stuff that you have on your phone. That you probably won't even go back and watch. Yeah, oh, I've absolutely. Done it. Yeah. Oh, I've done it. It's like sometimes I go from my phone, oh, what's this? And it's just like, oh, okay, I forgot about that. Just a block of 22 videos. Yeah, of, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's like, you know, a friend of mine uh, was doing a lot of stuff with um, the Australian cricket team during a very interesting phase. And um, in recent history, which we all know about. And uh, then when they had their first day where they had to do media management at the MCG, I said to him, do me a favor. The first time you walk out there, just stand there and take it all in. I said, stop doing what you're doing and just take it all in. I said, and even if you have to close your eyes and just listen to the sounds... I said, because that moment, that first time at the MCG, when you walk right in the center, because you can, because you're privileged enough that you can, you'll never get that first moment back. And he did that and he, he, said, he said, my God, thank you. I really appreciate. And so, you know, whenever I've been in a situation that I, I just have that realization, like, Jesus, I'm lucky, I put the camera aside for a few minutes, especially if it's a shooting context, like, you know, with most ex recent example of Women's World Cup. Yeah. You know, just take a minute to take it all in and to listen to the noises, listen to the sounds around you and just, you know, close your eyes. It It's really rewarding. It's really... Um, you you have a realization of the, of how special some of these moments can be, mm. and and uh, it's not all about the work, you know. And that's in 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 anything, you know. Your first trip overseas, your first whatever, mm. you know. It's like you know what they say, you know. Sometimes having a really good meal, just stop everything and really taste the food, and. Don't just shovel it in yeah. really quickly. Try, you know, right. be mindful yeah. of what you're doing more. And I think as I've gotten older, I've tried to be more mindful. Mm. Love it, mate. Thank you. The creativity piece and the idea that like photography's always been coming for you in a sense. It's like been calling after you. Something you can't escape. Yes. But something... I think objectively you're very good at and it's interesting that we talked at the start is you still maybe sometimes even now potentially feel imposter syndrome and I was going to come to talk about it but you know from what I've seen the work that you've done you know you've shot A-League you've obviously just done the Women's World Cup as you mentioned which I'm sure would have been potentially up there with some of the it was up there some of the biggest <laughs> things that you've done but those moments like you say it wouldn't come from just not having done years worth of work 
Now, whether you, as you, you know, recalled before your first game being just down the road from where we're recording today, or when you're in a packed stadium in Sydney shooting what was, you know, a historic final between two two nations who had never won the Women's World Cup. That's right, yeah. I'm, and I'm not necessarily trying to compare the two either, but it's like you can still, and it shows that you've done so much work to then be able to go, oh, even that first memory, you know, that wasn't the first time you took photos. No. Right, but you've been able to, yeah, do all of that and, and I guess the gratitude piece. I'm curious then to know like, because for me, gratitude, sure, I've known of the word for for years, decades, but I've only really stopped as well to become grateful in moments more recently. A very recent thing I remember was last week I was shooting a video with a good mate of mine that we just put out basically showcasing that I'm going to be doing three episodes a week of the podcast moving forward. But I was feeling unwell, but we were already planning on recording. So I, I wanted to you know, do the filming and I was walking down the driveway here feeling a bit sick and it just I just had this moment where I'm like dude it's like 3 30 on a Thursday you're filming a video with a mate about your podcast like this is fucking awesome like this is so cool so like yeah you might not be feeling 100% health like health wise but like you're not dying you're you're okay like enjoy this moment like this next half an hour you might not film something like this ever again you never know like i definitely plan to but it was very it was very nice to have like that gratitude in the moment and like you said stop and enjoy the meal yeah i think it's it's super rich how often do you feel you do that is it something that you did say the women's world cup i did it women's world cup i was away in france early this year for some friends from from different countries and um I, we were lucky enough to be staying at a fantastic little winery. It was terrible, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember, you know, we were, we were just kind of like starting to sort of get some bits of food together and all that. We were outside, it was like 20 degrees or whatever. And I started saying to them, guys... I'm really grateful we're all here together. This is such a special moment. And one of them said, oh, please don't tell us you're dying like this. <laughs> I said, no, no, no. I just want us all to, I said, it's been, you know, with COVID, we've not, none of, we haven't been able to see each other for about five years. It's really nice just to be able to be lucky enough mm. to, because, you know, not everyone can do that, you know. Life is hard for people. And listen, I think I've gotten better at it as I've gotten older. I was uh, the last probably four years. I think I'm much more in tune with that aspect of me. Yep. And and the women's World Cup final was one of those moments where I was just like, you know, I really you know, need to kind of just take a minute to remember and to stop. Um, it's not always about the work, um, but about savoring the opportunity and the moment. Mm. you mentioned being creative yeah and your father maybe being not super enthusiastic about that but i would love to know like what you think creativity is oh, ho, ho, ho. uh 
it's more than a passion. And anyone that's, I, you know, if you want to offend me, say to me, oh, I'm so glad you're so passionate about your photography, right? Passion's got nothing to do with it. Mm. Creativity, like my, the irony about dad not wanting me to be in a creative space is largely to do with dad wanting his son to do better than him. Mm-hmm. Okay. But my father, who was a carpenter, was originally trained to carve for, um, for churches. Wow. He was, in his way, very creative. Yeah. Our whole family, we had dressmakers, bootmakers. Uh, one of my cousins is an artist. We've got, I think we've got, a, you know, we've got creativity is there throughout the whole family. Yeah. My sister does a lot of dressmaking, you know, for herself. For me, creativity is actually doing something for yourself, which if you're lucky enough, you get to do it as a career, right? But more importantly, creativity is leaving yourself open to produce things that other people just might get enjoyment from and not only yourself, Mm. you know? To be creative is different to creativity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, to be creative means that you're open to working in many different ways. That's how I see it. Yeah. So it's not having a, a box that you're working within. It's actually about trying to push the box and to work outside of the box more. And I think that, you know, for young kids... It, it, the more they can push outside of the box, the more they learn. Mm. And it, but I think what happens is that when you become an adult, you start staying in the box. So it's learning to sort of get that tension right between how you get a bit of enjoyment for yourself mm-hmm. and how you actually do all the other things in life you have to do. You know, yeah. so creativity is it's an interesting one. It's, it's a bit, you know, mumbo jumbo. Um, but it's not such a bad thing. It doesn't have to be, you know, pinned down to being a set thing. It mm. should never be, in fact, you know. Um, I've got some friends who are, who are drawers and painters and they do other things and everyone ha- runs their own race and does their own thing and they've got their own, you know, that journey. They've got that, Yeah. you know. It's good. I think I really didn't, think that I was creative until recently and until probably I started this podcast and even at the start I didn't think it was something that was creative but like you said there's so many ways and expressions that you can communicate your own creativity but I think it's about finding what it is for you I even think like carpentry would be creative like I mean look at this roof for example the we're sitting here not great for people listening but like you know it's this you know arched in a sense, you know, higher ceiling that, you know, a carpenter's had to do a bit of a different build or an architect's obviously had to work through. So it can show up in so many different ways, creativity. I really enjoy talking about this. I don't think it's mumbo jumbo at all. I think, and I know you're sort of saying it tongue in cheek, but it's, I think something that, you know, you, and I say you, meaning me, but for when like you realize as a human that you are the sole one responsible for your life and you get to create that life I think it's very empowering and I remember when 
that really clicked for me. Yeah, I was able to to make some really good changes and thankfully and grateful to be in a position where I can do so. But yeah, luckily if people are listening to this, they can as well for yeah. themselves. I mean, I think the important thing is to open your mind to have the realisation that it's all within you. Mm. You know, like, you know, you can spend so much time and I have in my life where I've been very half full. And I think that it's very important to change your mindset where you can. And it's that is the my if I was to think of what is my biggest challenge every day is to the biggest challenge is probably to not get into that negative mindset. And I can tell you I do that just as well as anybody. Mm. In fact I could probably write a book on it. Mm. But the key thing is, is understanding yourself enough to know when you're doing it so that you can pick yourself up from it. It's not, so it's not somebody else's job to do it. You've got to have the realisation that you're doing it to yourself. And, and the power of what we... You know, the power of the mind to... Um, be positive or negative is the difference between waking up in the morning and feeling good or feeling shit. Uh, and so getting to the point where you're alert enough about how you're feeling every day, because uh, that influ- as a creative person in, in any medium, we probably have the most amount of self-doubt and negativity of people around. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's really important to try and stay on top of that and not always um give in to the negative because that's really easy yeah um and it's the hard things to try to kind of like make sure you're on you're balanced mm-hmm. and that's that's the challenge i think for many people i agree for, for you you mentioned before being a bit better in the past few years about it We've already talked about gratitude and that being a practice, which I'm yeah very much an advocate for. Are there any other practices that you have that have made you able to withstand and be more resilient when you're experiencing those lower times, not only in work, but in, in life? Because it very much seems like work is your life at this point. Like you're, you're living and breathing. Yeah. Photography. A lot of it. Uh... You know, I think that I think that yes, work's a large factor, and that sort of shapes a lot of um, the do's and don'ts, I guess. And one of the things that um, I know I have to get better at is remembering that work is not me, and that's why taking time out to travel is such an important thing because that's where I can reconnect with the things I really enjoy doing mm-hmm. and unfortunately don't get to do enough of that because of the, you know, um, but one of the things that I have done little bits of since coming back from the trip is just reminding myself, oh, okay, today 
I'm just going to catch up with some friends. I'm not going to work. I'm going to kind of just try to take it easy. Or I'm just going to watch TV all night. I'm not going to sit on the computer. Slowing down, you know, slowing the mind down. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the mind can just keep going and going and going like at a million miles an hour. And it's very hard to slow that down. Uh, I'm not perfect. You know, my sister would probably say that um you know uh, but it's uh yeah i think that the challenge is actually to slow down um mentally physically exercise is important yeah. i really find like i go to the gym and do and do some stuff there and that helps to sort of balance a bit of the angst mm. that can be there at times yeah you know? so when work is quieter that's when I start creating mischief for myself mentally. Okay. So the, the trick is how do I not do that? Mm. And that's, that's the day-to-day -day challenge. Yeah. Because that, that, that then feeds into, oh, I'm quiet. Why am I quiet? I was really busy. You know, that, that voice in your head, you know, that, that lovely little voice in your head that, that comes in and says the stuff. Totally. Yeah, we all have it, you know, and anyone that, thinks they don't they're probably not admitting it too much you know yeah. that, oh, that voice is great it's been there forever and it gets in there and it's just working it out you know yeah love it mate this has been a fun chat i've got a few more questions before i yeah. let you go no problem but uh yeah i've really enjoyed all that we've all that we've discussed talking about the women's world cup as maybe being the highlight of this year so far putting words in your mouth there but i'm not too sure if there's been two this year actually yeah what, been, what's been the other highlight uh, my first grand prix amazing mm. is that, that is that melbourne grand prix yeah yeah and now i'm 50 something and i'm still <laughs> having firsts and they are exciting they're still it's still exciting mm. you know um and that grand prix opportunity came after initially not thinking I'd get that opportunity this year, it just happened because of a few things. Yeah. And I just said yes. And sometimes, sometimes you have to say, you need to say yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, so I've been lucky. There's the two very different things. You know, I've never shot motorsport before. You know, a very different world. Mm. Completely different to anything I've ever been in. Moves a bit faster, the race uh, car than a football. Yeah. But also the whole circus that comes to town with it. Right. I was not prepared for the circus. Yeah. You know, and that's from a media perspective, the fans, everything. Yeah. And um, so, again, it's just those sort of moments, you know, those sliding door moments where, you know, had I said no, I would have never had that opportunity. And then things that come from that. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, never underestimate, the importance of a random meeting or conversation because I can't tell you the number of times I've been talking to somebody at an event or whatever and then months later you hear from them and they're, they're checking in with you to see if you can do something. And, and that's not always been work-related, you know. And so you just never know what is around the corner. Yeah. And that's probably... If we were to think about all of the great things in life, the great thing in life is the unknown. But that's a scary thing as well. 
And that's the dichotomy of where we are as human beings, you know. Um, they, when I, I did a stint in advertising when I was setting up the business and I was working um, three days a week in that agency and then the rest of the time I was just trying to get the business going. And um, the CEO of, of uh, the agency, she was a very switched on woman who was really... Her whole thing was about the well-being of her staff, which in advertising... Probably rare, right? Very rare. Yeah. I have a lot of respect for her. And one of, and I remember they did this, what I call a love-in, where they wanted to get the core values of the, of, of the agency down and we did this big think tank thing and, and all this. And one of the five values was be, un- be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I have, I think that has probably, that comment or that saying has probably been one of the things that I've gone back to again and again and again. Mm. And I think that that is so open to what that means and it's so different to what that means to different people. But depending on where you are and what's happening to you, um, that phrase, be comfortable with the uncomfortable, is a lot, it gives you a lot. And I know that that's certainly helped me to sometimes take a chance. I never used to take a chance when I was younger. I was much more... I think I take more chances now than I used to. And um, if I was to reflect back on my 21 year old self to now um i gosh i wish i took more chances Mm. when i was younger but you you know what i can't change that yeah and uh you know yeah we all have our regrets and we all you know with our career our, our personal life whatever uh but you can't just spend your whole life ruminating over something that's happened, you know, especially if it's not something that's super, super serious and horrible, you know, yeah. like um, if you've been fortunate to not be, not had something really awful happen to you, I, I think that there are a lot of things that we can kind of improve. So, yeah, you know, it's, uh, but no, comfortable with the uncomfortable is, I think, uh, something to be mindful of as well when you're, like when you're doing things when you're i don't know i'm sounding a bit <laughs> no man i i completely completely agree in terms of well not not just professionally work-wise in any area of life whatever you'd be willing to share now what do you hope for your future would you like to continue shooting the grand prix maybe travel over to monaco i don't follow it too well i know there's courses all around the world they they go on tour but any other major sporting things would like to do a men's world cup at some point what are you, what are the plans for for Mark Avellino into the future? Mm, more travel. More travel. Uh, more travel. I'd love to do a men's world cup. That would yeah. be, I think next yeah. one's in North America, right? Yeah, probably avoid that one. So have yeah. so have Mexico, the US, <laughs> and Canada. Um, you know, I don't know. Um, I just want to be good at what I do. You know what I mean? Um, mm. And if I get those opportunities to shoot something that's amazing i'm going to jump at it mm-hmm. but i just want to produce good work you know and just be around good people 
you know, and that's, I think, I don't think that's asking too much, to be mm. really honest. Um, travel. I love traveling. Um, I love the person I become when I'm away. <laughs> Who do you become when you're away? Uh, much more relaxed and I sleep really, really well. Oh, really? Yeah. You don't <laughs> sleep well in Melbourne? No, I just, I never, when I'm at home, I just never sleep well. But oh, I, I go away and I'm like, it's like a baby. You is know? it the hotel mattresses or something? What do you think it is? I think maybe it's a Northern Hemisphere thing. I don't know. Really? Maybe, maybe my body's weirdly more aligned or something i don't know what it the is. maltese blood just <laughs> yeah. going yeah I have keep a, me here or maybe it's the fact that you walk about twenty five thousand steps a day and you're actually exhausted whereas we drive everywhere <laughs> i i would agree yeah not that i've been to europe or done that but i've definitely heard stories of like even the food but like even the food apparently is like just better quality yeah it's fresher so, it seems fresher yeah. um yeah, it's more expensive though. But uh, so you have to keep working, otherwise you're not gonna be able to enjoy. <laughs> keep working, it. keep but, walking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, um, yeah, I think that I'm pretty sure the sleeping is largely due to the fact that I walk. I, I love walk. When I'm away, I'll just have my camera, um, walk, 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 nice. go to cafes, watch people, the whole lot. And um, I think that um, that enjoyment is because you're every day you're taking in new things without all the interruptions of the mundane. You know, um, it, when you travel, mundane can be anything you want it to be. Mm. But when you're here in Melbourne and you're doing your day-to-day and, you know, you're you're doing all the things you need to do to get going, um, it's it, it's harder, you know. Um, it's not as much fun as well because sure. you just, you know, it's what you see the same thing every day. Your environment is um, the same every day. So, you know, you kind of, um, your appreciation of what you have around you is very different because it's the thing you've always seen. Mm. Whereas when when you're in a new country, uh, when you're traveling, or like even if I was traveling in a different part of Australia, you get inspired by the surroundings around you because you're seeing and smelling. You know, smell is so important. Sure. So you kind of, um, you're able to just kind of just take that in much more and Mm. i think that that kind of um helps to sort of highlight the experience further love it yeah awesome stuff mate you answered it before without being prompted but it's how i like to end these conversations and you may have known because i think you mentioned you listened to a couple of episodes which i appreciate but yeah i would love to know what advice you would give to whether it's your 21-year-old self or 13-year-old Mark who, who picked up that camera for the first time, if you could, yeah, what advice would you give? Don't pick up the camera, no. <laughs> it, it'll come for you later. It'll, it'll be there anyway. Uh, what, would I, what advice would I give myself? Uh, listen, I think it'd be a very, very simple one and that is um, trust your instinct. Because I don't think there's too many times in your life where when you haven't actually trusted your instinct, you've been wrong. Mm. And a bit more of that trusting in yourself can help you understand yourself a lot better. So I think that that's all that comes into really just backing yourself. And uh, you know, I remember my sister saying to me, oh, you're, you're a good photographer. I don't know why you don't, you, you just don't believe that you are. And she said this to me plenty of times. And 
it's taken years to even get close to believing that. So other people could see it, I just couldn't see it. Mm. So I think at some point you need to learn to, tr- to trust your instinct and to trust yourself. So probably if I was to meet my younger self, that would be scary. Because um, I wasn't as fat as I thought I was. No, <laughs> the old story. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be the thing, I think. Yeah, trust yourself. Love it, Mark. This has been really fun, mate. Is there any final thoughts that you'd like to share that maybe I haven't prompted with a question before I let you go? Uh, no, listen, I think that, um, you know, whether you, whether a person's doing photography or whether they're doing, you know, a business degree or whatever, whatever, whatever the path you're choosing to go on, mm. I think people just need to understand that just because you start in one direction, it doesn't mean you're going to end up there. And... You know, when people go to do courses and they study and it's very easy to think that, oh, well, I've started the course now and I must finish it. Mm. I can't just change course. And I think that um, I've changed course a few times, but I've ended up where I kind of started, but different. But that's my experience. But I think that... it's important to kind of understand that you can change course and don't get tied into thinking, oh, well, I've started my degree now. I have to finish it. Yeah. Life experience is probably more important than actually that kind of regimented learning Mm -hmm. Um, because you'll learn so much from life itself. You probably learn more. The the school of life is probably more, you'll probably learn more there than you do when you're when you're studying so totally that's probably where i would leave it i think love it mate well i'll be sure to put links where people can get in contact with you see your work book you probably as well i haven't talked too much about that but i'm pretty sure that was i did see that on the website before uh looking looking that up so mate yeah thank you so much for, for taking the time today it's been a pleasure thank you legend we'll leave it there So there you have it, another episode of the Hope Initiative. Thank you to Mark for joining me for this conversation. I hope you all enjoyed listening. Please do check out his stuff. All the links and those things are in the description of the podcast. And as always, you know what to do if you do enjoy this. Like, subscribe on all the platforms, share it with friends, family, etc. Someone who you think will get some benefit out of it. I really appreciate it and appreciate you taking the time to do so. And until next time, keep creating your life and all the very best.